she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a brief word of prayer? Oh Jesus, would you open our hearts to now receive your word? We know that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. So would you allow me to clear, speak clearly, and would you allow us to hear clearly that which you want for us to take down deep into our hearts, that our souls might be satisfied by you alone. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Have you ever noticed that sometimes people have names that are particularly apt for what they are known for doing? Uh, for instance, there is a man who wrote a book about polar exploration who goes by the name Daniel Snow. There's another man. He is the editor of a prestigious journal called Brain about matters related to your cerebellum. Uh, he goes by the name Henry Head. Not kidding. Uh, there's a CEO over in England, multi-million dollar sort of guy. Uh, he goes by the name Rich Richie. And then my personal favorite, uh, there's a famous hurdler, you know, track and field type person. Um, and she goes by the name Vanya Stumbleova. Stumble over, the, you can see what I did there, okay. Uh, I did not make any of those up. Uh, it's a phenomenon uh, that some psychologists have put a name to called aptronyms. For whatever reason, some people have names that seem to very closely align with their mission in this world, what they do. Now, I don't think that that means your name is your destiny or anything like that. Uh, lots of us have names that just are labels on top of us that don't mean all that much. Uh, but there are certainly some people whose monikers are a shorthand for their mission. Turns out Jesus Christ is one of those people. He has a name fitting for his mission in this world. And that is to save sinners of all types. We're in the midst of a three-part series, just slowing down and savoring the miracle of Christmas, the greatest gift that's ever been given the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We're seeing that Christmas is really about this glorious truth, that Jesus became one of us to save all of us, to become God with us. This morning, we're gonna focus on the second of those three things, that Jesus came to save all of us. And he has a name fitting for that mission. We'll move through the sermon in just two points. His name and his mission. Let's begin in that first one. His name. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, we are in the middle of a uh, narrative that has a bit of drama to it. You see, there's a couple that's engaged. Only there's an unexpected complication. An unexpected pregnancy. Uh, Joseph assumed he had married a woman who was chaste and pure, uh, but obviously he knows how these sorts of things go. She's pregnant, and that must mean something funny has happened. 
So he's looking for a way to gently let her down, to, to quietly break off their engagement when something amazing happens. Uh, an angel from heaven appears and convinces him that he must not go through with breaking off the relationship with Mary because, in fact, she has not been unfaithful. What's happened is a miracle. What is conceived in her is actually from the very Holy Spirit. Well, Joseph, in the midst of being told this by the angel, has a shift occur. Uh, from what is, has happened already, that is the miracle of the conception of Jesus, to what must happen, that is Jesus must be named. Pick it up with me in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The angel tells Joseph what has to happen. You've got to name this kid Jesus. Now, naming back then was a little different than it is right now. Um, if you have named a child yourself, or maybe you know someone who's had a kid and went through that naming process, you know that oftentimes people have a bit of a collaborative process when it comes to picking a name. Uh, maybe they buy a book filled with various popular names for children to look through, or maybe they look through the internet for ideas. Uh, sometimes it's the mom that is the one who suggests the name. Sometimes it's the dad. Uh, usually they both agree on it before the name is given. Uh, but back then, especially in Jesus's day, being named by your father was especially important because being named by your father was part of the legal process of becoming the heir to your father's line. If you wanted to inherit the land that your father owned, or if you were a king, the son of a king, and you wanted to inherit the throne that was yours by blood, part of that legal process was your father choosing your name. Uh, now, from the very beginning then, Jesus' naming is a very human thing to have happened. It was the expectation of people in that day that the father would choose the name of their son. And in fact, it's an important thing that Jesus was named by Joseph because Jesus has something that he inherits uh, that Matthew goes out of his way to show us. If you study on your own, the earlier part to Matthew chapter one, you'll see that there's this long list of names that Matthew gives. It's called a genealogy. It's tracing Jesus's family history. And Matthew goes out of his way to trace that family history through Joseph. Well, that's interesting because Jesus is not actually Joseph's blood relative. Joseph was not involved in the process of be Jesus being conceived. And yet in his naming of the boy, Jesus, something legal occurred. Jesus, by adoption, truly was the son of Joseph. And as Matthew goes out of his way to show us through that genealogy, that means that Jesus really is the descendant of King David and the true king of Israel. So the angel giving this instruction does this so that Jesus would truly be Joseph's son and by implication, truly be David's son, that is, the king of God's people. But there's another angle that you can spin this around because uh, Jesus is not named like every other boy is named. That is, it wasn't Joseph's idea. No, it came to him by way of a message from heaven. You go through the Bible, 
If God gives someone a name, something really important is about to happen through that person. Uh, Jesus needs to be named by Joseph, but he also needs to be named in such a way that it's obvious he's not just Joseph's son, he's also God's son. By the angel, by revelation from heaven, giving this name to Joseph, Jesus is unlike all of his peers. His life is set apart as something special. There's something about him wrapped up in his name that is heaven's intention for the world. Now, the name that was chosen on the surface seems very common. Uh, His name is Jesus. Uh, That's actually a transliteration from the Hebrew for the name Yahweh saves. That's what it means. Um, And it was a popular name in that day um, for a very obvious reason. Uh, God's people, the Israelites, were in a spot where it was very obvious that they were in need of saving. Uh, It's been a long, long time since they had had a king or a kingdom of their own. They have, had been under the thumb of various oppressors, and the latest version, the Romans, were particularly cruel and looked particularly difficult to overthrow. So this name, Jesus, was a very common one. It would have been the type of name that you would see uh, on lists of kids in numerous occasions, uh, kind of like the name Josh today. You wouldn't blink an eye at seeing it. It's one of the reasons why Jesus often, when he's referred to in the Bible, has a location attached to his name. He's not just Jesus, but Jesus of Nazareth. Because there's so many other Jesuses going around, you wouldn't know who they were talking about otherwise. But there's one other aspect about his name you need to know. Uh, The name Jesus is actually the same name for the name Joshua. Uh, You know Joshua, if you know your Old Testament. He was a uh, really important leader of God's people, bold man. Uh, he was Moses' successor and the one that led God's people to a type of rest by leading them to conquer their foes and inhabit the promised land. Well, Jesus shares the name of Joshua. So when he was named that name, you might think, coming to mind, images of a strong leader. Someone who's fit to lead an army, to defeat foes. And certainly, if that's what people were expecting, in one sense, they're both more right and more wrong than they ever could have imagined. Uh, You see, Jesus, he is the leader of God's people, the strongest leader they've ever had. He's going to end up defeating the greatest foe that they've ever faced, sin and death and the devil itself. And yet he's not going to do so with a giant army at his back. No, he's going to conquer and bring rest by way of his own life being given. So right from the beginning, we see that Jesus, in his name, is a very special man. And in fact, that name has become not a common name, but in fact, the most famous name in all of human history. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, uh, sometimes you can grow discouraged by the way people talk about Jesus. His name is often used as part of vulgarity. Uh, There are times where he endures incredible slander, even in our own day. And it's been the case for a very, very long time. 
Now, you might wonder if there will ever be a time when his name will be held in the regard in which it is due. There was a moment in history where it looked particularly bleak for Jesus' name being held in high regard back in the 1700s. There was a philosopher by the name of Voltaire, and he said that Christianity was on its way out. They were, we were living in the twilight of that old myth that in just a, a few years, people would forget all about it. I love the irony of Voltaire's life uh, because not only did his prediction end up being completely false, um, his very house where he wrote most of those anti-Christian writings from ended up being used after he died as a factory for Bibles. <laughs> it turned out Christianity had some more tricks up its sleeves. Uh, in fact, today, more people call on the name of Christ than ever before in human history. There has literally never been a time when there are more Christians on this earth than there are right now. And looking forward, we know that the name of Jesus will only grow more famous. Uh, not that necessarily everyone will themselves become Christians, but that if you draw out far enough, that there is a day coming when the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, will be known by all, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he is the son, the one sent from heaven, the true heir of David's line, and the one who through his obedience was given the right to rule and reign over God's people and this earth forever. So dear brothers and sisters, this Christmas, maybe you'll find yourself being discouraged by things you hear people saying about Jesus, jokes that they make, vulgarities that come out of their mouths, or maybe just the cold indifference. People don't want to talk about him. Would you remember that his name is worthy of honor and praise? In fact, one day, the earth will be filled with his glory. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ. But of course, it's not just the sounds of his name that make it a beautiful name. Uh, it is, in fact, the meaning wrapped up in it. I've already told you his name means God saves, which means his name is apt for his mission. That's what we see in our second point. What is the mission of Jesus? Well, the angel spells it out. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If I were to ask you, what are the biggest problems in the world today? A group this big, I'm sure we get a lot of different answers. I, I went looking on the internet this week. Uh, what are the biggest problems in the world today? I found a bunch of different articles. Most of them had the same basic things. Uh, there are issues related to violence and wars. There's issues related to death and sickness. There's issues related to injustice and cruelty. There's even lots of concern about the world we live in, the environment, and matters related to that. There's also a cluster of concerns related to us more individually, about our self-esteem, 
that our opportunities or the lack thereof of the things we would love our life to be filled with. A group this big, we would have a lot of different answers. What are the biggest problems facing us? And the people back then, they had a list of things as well. I think their list probably had more overlap than ours does in the day we live in. Uh, their list, by and large, would have said, the biggest problems facing us are the Romans, the Romans, the Romans, and the Romans. Uh, if you lived under the Romans, you would know why. Uh, they had the biggest and best army. They were masters of cruelty. Uh, if you dared step out of line, they knew how to punish you and make an example out of you, uh, which is why they were able to, for as long as they could, hold together such a diverse empire covering so much territory. Well, for the Jews, this was a particular problem. Uh, you see, the nation of Israel had been promised a land to live in and a place to worship God together in. Uh, worship centered around a temple, the place where God dwelled with his people. Well, sure, they had a temple to worship in, but no one thought this is what God had intended when he made those promises. Everyone knew they were being held back. They couldn't live up to their potential. They couldn't worship and serve God the way they should. And so as a result, there was a longing for someone to come and save them. Well, little did they know that God would make good on all of his promises just in a way that they never expected. The man, Jesus, is the answer to the greatest problem the nation faced, as well as all of humanity has ever faced. Not just the need to have a place to worship in or to be free from oppression, but that our souls could be freed from our bondage to sin. Angel's words reveal as much. I'm going to tease out three aspects of the way that Jesus is the savior of our souls by saving us from our very sins. First, he does so as our representative. If you think back, all the way back to the dawn of humanity, our problems really started with the first humans. Uh, Adam and Eve, they were made perfectly to live in a world free from pain and difficulty, a beautiful garden, enjoying God's presence and having their every moment filled with everything they could possibly need. And yet that first couple disobeyed. Uh, Adam listened to the counsel of his wife, but even worse, to the lie of the devil, and in so doing, did the one thing he was forbidden from doing. He ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In that one act of rebellion, Adam and Eve and all of their descendants became guilty sinners. Um, from that mo moment forward, there has been one consistent thing about every generation. As different as we are, we have this much the same. We are all sinners doomed to die been going on generation after generation. We live, we have our own expression of sin in our day, and then sooner or later, each and every one of us dies. That is the result of the first disobedience of the first man, Adam. And the Bible presents this as a representative role, that really, yes, it's true, each of us has sinned ourselves, but in that we are a part of a human race, 
that was started by a sinful man, we are all guilty in deserving of God's punishment. And that means even if you could think of a hypothetical that doesn't exist, of a perfect human who were to live completely sinlessly, well, we would still be in the same place. We're still part of a guilty and doomed people. But that's what Jesus is coming. It makes Jesus is coming such good news. Because not only does Jesus come to be with us, but to redeem us by being our representative. If you go through what the Bible presents about Jesus, it presents him as retracing Adam's steps. And where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Adam was in a garden with all the food he could have ever wanted. And Jesus endured temptation out in the wilderness with nothing to eat for 40 days. Uh, Adam endured the temptation of the devil and then gave in. But Jesus, he endured the temptations of the enemy and fought back by the word of God and succeeded. Adam led all of us into death. And Jesus leads a new humanity into everlasting life. One scripture I'll point you to, Romans 5, 17. For it's because of one man's trespass, that's Adam's, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Adam gave us all death. But when we join the new humanity through faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us something entirely different, eternal life, as he saves us from our sins. Jesus is our representative. The second thing Jesus is, is our substitute sacrifice. Uh, one of the things the Bible teaches is that we cannot approach God safely because of our sins. That because of a whole, the holiness of God, if any of us were to try and enter God's presence on our own, the result would be justice, immediate and final justice. That would be our undoing. The wages of sin is death. One way God taught that is through the structures he built for his people to meet with him, the, the temple and the tabernacle. Uh, in the temple, you had this reminder. If you wanted to come near to God... A life had to be given in the place of yours. Uh, that's why the Israelites every year would gather around on the Day of Atonement. Uh, on that day, an animal was brought and was killed, and the blood of that animal was used to show the need of a substitute life for the sake of our lives being spared. The sheep or the goat would be slain and the blood of that sacrifice would be given on behalf of the people to show that for there to be peace between us and God, someone has to pay the price. What did Jesus come to do to save his people from their sins? Well, at its core, he came to be that substitute sacrifice. Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life, so he had no sins of his own. So when he offered up his life willingly on the cross, he was able to endure and bear the penalty our sins deserved. That's why Jesus, as he hung on the cross, 
as he was about to die, was able to shout, it is finished. Because at that moment, he had made full payment for all the sins of the people. Jesus served as our substitute so that sinners of all types can be forgiven. And that makes him different than all the sacrifices that came before him. Because Jesus, by his perfect life that was given, is a once-for-all sacrifice. That's the testimony from Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read three verses for you, Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Uh, Jesus, after he died, God raised him from the dead, and then uh, after that, raised him up even higher to the very throne room of heaven itself. Uh, Jesus then applied the sacrifice of his own life for all the people of God. Uh, once he had done that, he was able to sit down And by sitting, it indicates that his work is completed. There's no more sacrificing that needs to be made. No more offerings needed for our sins. Once for all, our sins have been forgiven because Jesus was our substitute. There's a third way that Jesus is our savior. And that's that he serves as our mediator. He serves as our mediator. Uh, There was this lesson also in the temple. As much as you needed to have that blood sacrifice cover your sins, you couldn't offer it for yourself. If you tried to wander into the temple with your own animal, with its own blood, uh, you would be turned away. Or if you managed to fight your way past the priests, uh, you would be struck dead. Because it was not for just anyone to draw near to God. No, it had to come through someone doing that job on your behalf. That is the mediation of the priest. Only one priest was appointed once a year to go into the very inner chambers of the temple. That is the place where God's presence was said to dwell. Only that one man could go to do this ministry for the whole nation because the message that was being sent, you need a mediator between God and yourself. It's not safe for you to draw close on your own. The work of Jesus is to be that mediator, not just once for a nation of people, but for all time for the sins of anyone who would draw near to God through him. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Have you ever wondered what Jesus is doing right now? Where is he? What's he doing? He's in heaven, amen. And what's he doing in heaven? Uh, He's standing at the right hand of the Father. Uh, He is pleading on behalf of each and every one of those who have drawn near to God through him. Uh, His very wounds and his blood are assuring us that we will never be sent away from God's presence, that we are always welcomed 
and as sons and daughters that are loved by the God of heaven. Uh, We know that there will never be a day where God's attitudes about us will change. There'll never be a, a sin that we commit that's too great. There'll never be an oversight that's too much because he always lives to intercede for us. He mediates God to us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through him. And those who come, through, uh, come to God by his pathway that he's opened will never be turned away. You see, brothers and sisters, what the Bible presents as our greatest need is not to have our physical bodies healed, as important as that is. It's not to have the political system fixed from its crooked state, as impossible as that seems. It's not to have world hunger solved. It's not to have all wars cease. It's not to have self-esteem to the point where you feel good about yourself or to have a group of loving friends and family that affirm you. As true and real as each and every one of these needs are, our greatest need is to know that our sins are forgiven now and forever. That we can know that we will be welcome in God's presence. Praise be to God, the name of Jesus tells us that that has already come to pass. See, this is the true gift of Christmas. Wonderful as the family and the presents and the trees and the time off from work is. All of it's really about something much bigger. The God who became one of us to save all of us. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not received that gift yourself. Maybe you know you're not a Christian or maybe you're not sure if you are. This is the gift that God has for you. He wants you to know that your guilt can be completely banished from your soul. Then each and one of your sins can be wiped away now and forever. All you have to do is confess your sins and believe in the one that was sent, Jesus Christ. If you do that, friend, you won't be disappointed. The Bible tells us that Jesus did everything needed for a sinner of all all types to be saved, which means no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what you've done, however dark it may seem, or even what you might have been doing this very week, if you will repent of your sins and sincerely turn away from them and trust Jesus to save your soul, you'll find what so many Christians before you have found. Jesus is the Savior. He came to save us from our sins. And he doesn't let anyone down who dares to trust him. Uh, Friend, I don't know your story, but I do know this. If you would like to receive that gift this Christmas, it'll be the best gift you've ever received. Uh, My guess is uh, the person sitting next to you would be glad to explain more of it if you're interested. After the service, if you're bold enough, ask them, how can I receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers? And... As we turn our attention to how we are to apply this as Christians, and the choir is now invited to come back up this morning, I uh, hope that we will remember the way in which 
Christmas is a time especially fitting for us to have our thoughts filled with the praise of the glorious name of Jesus. Um, I know it's easy to just get into the rhythms of the holiday, uh, just be on autopilot going from family gathering to church service, hearing those songs on the radio. I mean, all of it's good. I hope you love all of it. But I hope more than anything that you will want your heart to be excited about the thing that is the most exciting of all. According to God, there was one thing that your heart and your soul needed more than anything. It was to have your sins forgiven. And God made sure that you had everything you needed provided through his son, Jesus. So that you can know this Christmas that you are welcome as one of his sons, as one of his daughters, that he loves you. And that in fact, you will spend all eternity praising his glorious name for all that he's done for you. Because brothers and sisters, Christmas is really about Jesus. It's about him becoming one of us so he could save all of us. And that's a truth that we will spend eternity praising his name for. Would you join me in praying as we prepare our hearts to continue worshiping through song? Jesus, we know that you are the one whose name is above every name. And we know that there's no one on heaven, in heaven or on earth that is due the praise that you are due because you have been given the authority to rule and reign over all that is, including us as your people. Uh, so we ask you now, would you help us to praise your name in the way that's befitting of you? Uh, would you give us the joy and the boldness to lift our voices and know that we are joining with the praise in heaven that will go on forever, that there will be praise of your name forever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen.